Thank you for standing by. My name is Greg, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Spirit Airlines fourth quarter 2023 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And if you'd like to withdraw your question, just press star one again. Thank you. I would now like to turn the call over to Deanne Gable, Senior Director, Investor Relations. Deanne, please go ahead. Thank you, Greg. And welcome everyone to Spirit Airlines fourth quarter 2023 earnings conference call. This call is being recorded and simultaneously webcast. As soon as it is available, we will archive a replay of this call on our website for a minimum of 60 days. Presenting on today's call are Ted Christie, Spirit's Chief Executive Officer, Matt Klein, our Chief Commercial Officer, and Scott Harrelson, our Chief Financial Officer. Also joining us are other members of our senior leadership team. Following our prepared remarks, there will be a question-answer session for analysts. Today's discussion contains forward-looking statements that are based on the company's current expectations and are not a guarantee of future performance. There could be significant risks and uncertainties that cause actual results to differ materially from those contained in our forward-looking statements including but not limited to various risks and uncertainties related to the acquisition of Spirit by JetBlue and other risk factors discussed in our reports on file with the SEC. We undertake no duty to update any forward-looking statements, and investors should not place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. In comparing results today, we will be adjusting all periods to exclude special items unless otherwise noted. For an explanation and reconciliation of these non-GAAP measures to GAAP, Please refer to the reconciliation tables provided in our fourth quarter 2023 earnings release, a copy of which is available on our website under the Investor Relations section at ir.spirit.com. And now I will turn the call over to Ted Christie. Thanks, Deanne, and thanks to everyone for joining us on the call today. As we look back on 2023, while our financial results for the full year were unsatisfactory, I am proud of what our team accomplished, and we are well on our way to make the necessary strategic shifts that will enable Spirit to compete effectively in the current demand environment. First of all, I thank all our Spirit team members for their dedication and commitment in caring for our guests and each other while overcoming the operational and financial challenges we faced in 2023. And a special thank you to all who carried the extra burden of preparing for the court case and working on merger integration planning while attending to their regular full-time duties. The professionalism and enthusiasm of the SPIRIT team is unmatched, and I am honored to work alongside such remarkable people as we deploy our plan to return to sustained profitability. Regarding the merger, when JetBlue first made the offer to us in 2022 and we subsequently signed a merger agreement, which had overwhelming support from our stockholders. Our board of directors anticipated it would be a long, litigious road to obtaining regulatory approval. To compensate for that, we negotiated meaningful protections for the company and our constituents against an adverse regulatory outcome. Nonetheless, we believed, and we continue to believe, a merger between JetBlue and Spirit is a compelling combination, not only for our business, but also for the American consumers. As such, we strongly disagree with the court's ruling to grant an injunction against the merger. Together with JetBlue, we filed a notice of appeal and our request for an expedited review has been granted. We will not be commenting further or entertaining questions about the merger on today's call. 
Moving on to, to a recap of 2023, at the beginning of the year, we made the decision to allocate resources and go full throttle on hiring the necessary number of pilots and building the infrastructure to support getting back to full fleet utilization by year end 23. We also recognized that we needed to de-risk the business and give ourselves the means to digest the high growth rate we had coming out of the pandemic. However, due to contractual obligations, the first practical opportunity to slow our pace of forward deliveries was in 2024. Therefore, in the summer of 2023, we negotiated a deferral of 11 aircraft originally slated for delivery in 2024 and smoothed out the remaining deliveries between 2025 and 2029 to slow the pace of our growth over the next few years. At the time, together with achieving full fleet utilization, we believed this would be enough to set us up for a return to profitability in 2024. Things, of course, changed as the year progressed. We did not foresee the number of parked NEO aircraft in 2024 and beyond due to GTF NEO engine availability, further complicating and delaying our ability to achieve full fleet utilization. In addition, shifts in the balance of supply and demand for domestic air travel in leisure markets during last summer and fall had a very profound negative impact on revenue trends for the second half of 2023. In October, we stated we were prepared to make the necessary strategic shifts to enable Spirit to compete effectively, and we began to do just that and are executing on a plan that we believe will provide us a platform for margin health. We are making changes to network construction, peak versus off-peak flying, and geographic and market concentration, and will assess the success of various components and make some inevitable adjustments. We are not prepared to share all the details of our plan with you today as we await some clarity on our appeal. However, Matt and Scott will share some of the actions in progress that are already having the desired impact. Before I hand it over to them to provide details on our fourth quarter financial performance and first quarter 2024 outlook, I want to comment on the recent speculation about Spirit's ability to make it as a standalone carrier should the merger not close. This misguided narrative has been advanced by an assortment of pundits. However, back in the real world, we are focused on facts. Liquidity is always king, and we have enhanced our levels to give us the necessary flexibility to successfully close with JetBlue or to pursue our standalone plans. Above all else, margin repair is the key, and we have been making network adjustments and cost decisions to recover our margin production. First, Matt, over to you. Thanks, Ted. I want to start by commending our team for delivering excellent operating results throughout the fourth quarter. And during the busy peak holiday period, we achieved a near-perfect completion factor. Running a great operation is a key focus at all times. However, high load factors like we had over the peak holiday period and winter weather disruptions add extra complexities in running a reliable operation, and our team did a fantastic job managing both. Moving on to our fourth quarter revenue performance, total revenue for the fourth quarter was $1.32 billion, a decrease of 5% year over year, which was better than the high end of our initial guide. Total RASM was 8.94 cents, a decrease of 17.3% on a capacity increase of about 15%. Load factor was 80.1%, down around one point year over year. On a per segment basis, Passenger revenue per segment decreased 25% year-over-year to $48.24. 
our non-ticket results weren't quite as strong as they were in the fourth quarter last year, declining 6.6% year-over-year to $66.60. But I would call the non-ticket trend from an exit rate perspective strong as we head into Q1. I'll add some more color on this non-ticket topic further down in my prepared remarks. It is not apparent by looking only at the quarterly averages, but leisure demand in the peak holiday periods was very strong. However, with the return of corporate business traffic still lagging that of leisure, it feels like there is still a bit too much capacity chasing leisure demand to gain yield traction and drive historical load factors during the off-peak periods. In the immediate term, primarily January through the first half of February, we felt the best way to address this continuing issue was to reduce flights on off-peak days to a greater degree than we typically do. We also made other network changes, including suspending a few of our recently launched markets and slowing our overall pace of introducing new markets to our network. We are also continuing to make other adjustments to the network to better align our capacity towards markets where the supply-demand trends are more in balance. We started to get more aggressive in this process in Q4, and we will continue to refine the network throughout the balance of the first half of the year. For the first quarter, we estimate our capacity will be up approximately 1.5% year-over-year, which is about 5.5 percentage points lower than we projected back in October. About half of this variance is related to the reduction of scheduled flights on off-peak days that I just spoke about. The other half is a combination of having to pull NEO aircraft from service to position them for engine removals due to the powdered metal disc inspections, and some impact still remains related to ongoing ATC issues. ATC issues are improving. They just have not improved to the degree we thought they would. Therefore, to help support operational reliability, we have not yet been able to reduce scheduled block times as much as we had originally anticipated. We'll get there, but it's taking longer than any of us would like. For the remainder of the year, based on our current assumptions regarding engine removals, we anticipate year-over-year capacity for Q2 to be up low single digits, Q3 up high single digits, Q4 expected to be about flat, which leads to full-year 2024 capacity ranging between flat to up mid-single digits versus full-year 2023. The timing of engine removals and aircraft being pulled from service is fluid, so this is just our baseline estimate for now. Please note that our published schedules for the second quarter and beyond do not yet reflect the estimates I just provided. I'll now turn to how we're thinking about the demand environment and what we think the trajectory will be headed into the summer. There is a material amount of industry capacity coming online in some of the markets we serve. However, we have also seen some cuts in projected industry capacity growth rates for 2024, which should be constructive for yield production as we move through the year. Domestic demand over the peak holiday period and early trends we are seeing for spring break give us confidence that we will see more normalized demand trends for domestic travel this summer. In regard to non-ticket trends, throughout Q4, we saw core ancillary products improve in each month in each month on a year-over-year basis. This trend is continuing into Q1 as well. 
some network shifts, as well as some adjustments to our revenue management strategies, has non-ticket back on track. Additionally, some new merchandising techniques are going into production this month, which we anticipate will continue to push non-ticket higher as we exit the off-peak and head into spring break and Q2. As a reminder, we are lapping what was a very strong first quarter last year. So on a year basis, we are estimating first quarter 2024 TRASM will be down compared to the first quarter last year. However, our network and schedule changes, together with non-ticket revenue trends, should provide a, a nice tailwind to our sequential unit revenue performance from Q4 into Q1. And that sets us up well to continue this positive trend into Q2. We estimate the first quarter of 2024 total revenue will range between $1.25 and $1.28 billion. And with that, I will now turn it over to Scott. Thanks, Matt. 2023 was a year of many distractions and unpredicted events. Our team did a great job preparing for and reacting to all the issues we faced with professionalism and a positive attitude. For that, I want to give thanks to everyone on the SPIRIT team. Turning to our fourth quarter results, our fourth quarter operating costs were $1.49 billion, an increase of 11.3% compared to the fourth quarter of 2022, on a capacity increase of 14.8%. Non-fuel operating expenses were $998 million, much better than our initial expectations, driven largely by lower airport rents, lower costs resulting from reliable operational performance, and various cost-savings initiatives. Also, better fuel efficiency drove lower-than-expected fuel expense, despite fuel price per gallon coming in higher. Together with the better-than-expected revenue results, with operating margin for the fourth quarter of 2023 was negative 12.4%, about two and a half points better than the high end of our initial guide. While I applaud our team for beating expectations, these are clearly unsustainable results overall, and we remain determined to return to profitability and have been adjusting our strategy accordingly. There is considerable economic power in the spirit business model, but we do understand some of the limitations and issues with it as well. We believe we have some things in the works that will address these issues while maintaining the power of the model. We look forward to discussing these enhancements as the year unfolds. Total non-operating expense came in about $5 million higher than our initial guide, in part due to lower interest income, higher interest expense, and mark-to-market valuation of the derivative liability associated with the 2026 convertible notes. We ended 2023 with $1.3 billion of liquidity, which includes unrestricted cash and cash equivalents, short-term investments, and the $300 million of available capacity under our revolving credit facility. During the fourth quarter of 2023, we modified our credit facility, extending the final maturity to September 30th of 2025. We recently completed sell leaseback transactions for aircraft we previously owned and operated. We completed 20 of these transactions in December and five more in early January. In total, these transactions resulted in net cash proceeds of approximately $420 million. We retired one A319 aircraft and took delivery of two new A320neos and two new A321 NEOs during the fourth quarter. 
ending the year with 205 aircraft in our fleet. Before I move on to the first quarter outlook and plans for 2024, just a quick update on our GTF engine availability issues. <clears throat> in January, we averaged 13 grounded NEO aircraft and continue to estimate this number will climb steadily to an average of about 40 in December, averaging about 25 AOGs for the full year 2024. The situation remains very fluid, so we'll keep you updated as things develop. While we are working closely with Pratt & Whitney to predictively manage the engine removals and finalize a compensation arrangement that will partially cover the cost of the AOGs, we won't be able to achieve what we would consider an optimized cost structure until we get past the engine availability issues. Net of expected reimbursements, we expect this current AOG issue to cost us a few margin points in, in 2024. Looking ahead to the first quarter and full year of 24, we continue to, to face cost pressures from carrying costs related to the NEO engine availability, availability issues, inflationary pressures on wages, and we will also see increases in aircraft rent due to the higher mix of leased versus debt financed aircraft. On the positive side, we continue to improve fuel efficiency driven by the increase in the number of NEO aircraft in our fleet, particularly the eight A321 NEOs added in 2023. In 2024, we are scheduled to take 20 more A321 NEOs, which will drive further fuel efficiency. We are also making progress in improving utilization of our non-AOG aircraft, which we define as total fleet minus any aircraft on the ground due to engine, availabil engine availability issues. And this is a better comparable metric to historical fleet utilization numbers. We expect the benefits from better fuel efficiency improved utilization of our non-AOG fleet and the right sizing of our labor cost to be the platform for our ongoing unit cost repair. Regarding liquidity, we believe our $1.3 billion of total liquidity at the end of 2023 should be more than adequate to sustain us until the business is back to generating cash. This is a milestone we think we will cross as we enter March of this year and then begin building cash in the second quarter and beyond. And while we have confidence in our ability to return a positive cash generation, we will continue to look at other opportunities to further shore up liquidity as we progress through the year. Also, while Spirit remains focused on consummating the merger with JetBlue and is looking forward to prosecuting the expedited appeal of the U.S. District Court's order, the company is aware of its 2025 and 2026 debt maturities and is assessing options to address those maturities when the time is appropriate. We anticipate capital expenditures, including net pre-delivery deposits for the full year 2024 to be about $235 million. For the first quarter of 2024, we estimate our operating margin will range between negative 15% to negative 12% with a fuel cost per gallon averaging $2.90. So now I'll turn it back to Ted for closing remarks. Thanks, Scott. <clears throat> As we enter 2024, we are beginning to see the benefits from the tactical and strategic changes we implemented in 2023, including day of week schedule adjustments, eliminating a number of underperforming cities, refocusing our network on areas of obvious strength like Fort Lauderdale, and directing more discretionary airplanes to markets with better supply demand characteristics. In addition, current booking trends support our view that the domestic environment is beginning to rebound. 
Together with the changes we have made, we estimate this will result in an unprecedented sequential improvement in TRASM from fourth quarter 2023 to first quarter 2024, which supports our view of a domestic recovery in 2024. After 20 plus years of working for lower cost carriers, it has become ever more clear to me that we exist in an uneven playing field. To quote Judge William Young in his decision to enjoin the merger between Spirit and JetBlue, quote, the airline industry is an oligopoly that has become more concentrated due to a series of mergers in the first decades of the 21st century, with a small group of firms in control of the vast majority of the market, end quote. No truer words were stated in the entire opinion. Despite that explicit acknowledgement, the government continues to do nothing to address the anti-competitive structure of our industry. Instead, they have just engaged in an expensive and long litigation process to block the merger of the sixth and seventh largest airlines that, when combined, would still be half the size of the fourth. This case should never have been brought. It's beyond absurd for the government to claim a victory for the American consumer. In fact, it's ridiculous. As kind as I can be on the matter would be to confirm that the law of unintended consequences is in full effect. Either through direct government intervention or lack thereof, the end result has been to perpetuate a small group of haves that control the market at the expense of the have-nots and the American consumer. Nonetheless, you can rest assured that the SPIRIT team is 100% clear and focused on the adjustments we are currently deploying and will continue to make throughout 2024 to drive us back to cash flow generation and profitability. And now back to Deanne. Thank you, Ted, Scott, and Matt. And I also want to apologize for the background noise you may have heard. I'm not sure where it was coming from, but it does seem to have resolved itself. And with that, Greg, we are now ready to take questions from the analysts. We do ask that you limit yourself to one question and one related follow-up. Great, thanks so much. And at this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Once again, star and the number one on your touchtone phone. And we will pause just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. All right, it looks like our first question is from the line of Christopher Stathalopoulos with Susquehanna. Christopher, please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so, Ted, you know, it, with regards to the network optimization, could you talk a little bit in perhaps some more detail around the changes uh, with your, you know, crew scheduling placement and then also how you're thinking about uh, your seat distribution um, by market. Uh, sounds like perhaps something similar to what we heard from Frontier this week, but uh, any additional color here as we think about the composition or distribution of your capacity as well as some of the tactical changes you made around scheduling in the crew um, as we look at 2024. Thank you. Sure. Well, let me make a couple of comments specifically on how we've designed um, how the how the airplane network interfaces with the crew, and then I'll let Matt um, also opine on how he feels like you know seats and capacity are being deployed in, into markets. So uh, over the last you know two and a half years, we've made a number of structural improvements to um, to the core network and how it enhances um, our reliability. And, and one of the biggest changes we made you know at the early part of um, the later part of 2021 and into early 22 was restructuring. Um, how many crews originate and come back to their base 
uh, and what percentage of the flying originates and comes back to its base, and how long those crews are away from their base. Uh, those changes were made back then, and if you follow our reliability since then, while on-time performance ebbs and flows, depending on how our utilization is doing throughout the year, and of course, depending on air traffic control and, and weather, completion factor has been excellent. Uh, and that's really what's key to, to us is to see that signal first, then we can start tweaking further uh, in ways that we think can drive um, even better on-time performance. And if you look at um, the, the peak part of the, uh, the holiday periods at the end of last year, we were in the top three. And for the month of January, we were in the top three and in the top two in completion factor. So I think as far as structural enhancements go, we're, we're getting wiser and wiser about how we can enhance further reliability. If we think about how the network is being deployed from a seat perspective, maybe Matt, you want to um, give some perspective on that too. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Chris, we um, uh, when you look at first quarter uh, this year versus um, sort of the last 12 months rolling into the quarter, we have um, added on a year-over-year basis 55 new routes, and we suspended or exited 37 routes. Um, and part of those suspensions includes um, nine uh, city exits or suspensions where we think we'll be back um, into those cities. So. Um, you know, th those are those are some mater material moves for us, um, and I think Ted mentioned his prepared prepared remarks. Uh, the shift in the ASMs, uh, some of it has gone to Fort Lauderdale, where we continue to see very good strength, um, and we've also uh, seen a good bit of growth uh, for Spirit in the New York metro area as well. Uh, again, uh, great great source of strength for us. And what we're seeing is some shift away from um, some other leisure destinations. Orlando's a little smaller uh, for us. Vegas is um, also smaller for us. So um, really just surveying the landscape, which we do all the time. Um, and uh, just those are the actions that we've been taking. And um, I think for now, we're really happy with what we're seeing uh, as early returns on that. And we'll just continue to accentuate our strengths and look for opportunities where we think the supply-demand balance uh, favors us a little bit more. Okay, thank you. And as my follow-up, Matt or, or Scott, maybe if you could walk us through the cadence of, uh, you know, how we should think about the GTF aircraft down, uh, grounding. Excuse me. Uh, you did give uh, your uh, capacity guide by quarter here for 2024. So thank you. But as we start to um, or um, rework, if you will, our bottoms-up models for next year, any detail you could give us so far as the cadence of uh, GTF uh, groundings through 2024 and how we should think about uh, 2025. Thank you. Yeah, hey, Chris, this is Scott. I'll, I'll start. Um, for, for 2024, I think I mentioned a little bit in the prepared remarks, we will um, you know, ha have an AOG number in the first quarter in, in the high teens, and that will steadily climb through the year um, and, and probably end up in the fourth quarter averaging um, about 40 AOGs. Um, and, th and that would translate to a, an annual number for 24 at about 25 AOGs for the year. Um, for 2025, um, it's going to be difficult to estimate today. I mean, in, in actuality, really looking out into the third and fourth quarter has some, you know, bit of volatility. So looking into 2025 is going to be tough to estimate. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we're doing and Pratt is doing to, um, to help manage the number. Um, so we, we really only have a, a good bit of visibility in the 24 at this point. 
And I would just, this is Matt, I would just add uh, to that, to, to Scott's point, uh, there is still some volatility in the number, and we'll just continue to adjust the fleet, and the network will move around some of that. We feel pretty good that we have a better number now than we had um, even a few months ago, so that's good, but we'll just continue to move um, as necessary. Okay, thank you. Great. Thanks, Christopher. And our next question comes from the line of Mike Lindenberg with Deutsche Bank. Mike, please go ahead. Uh, yeah, hey, um, good morning. Um, I apologize if I missed this, um, Scott, but when we think about the airplanes coming in for the year, I think, what is it, 26 or 27 new Airbuses, um, are, how are those being financed? And as each airplane comes in, should we think of that as a, as a cash accretive transaction as you bring in each airplane with all of the puts and takes? Yeah, hey Mike, th thanks for the question. Yeah, the number of deliveries for um, for 2024 will be 27 aircraft, and they are all fully financed um, with e either the ones coming from Airbus or our selling spec transactions, and we also have deliveries that are coming from lessors as direct operating leases. So those are all fully financed, and in fact, we're fully financed through the second quarter of 2025, um, minus, minus one second quarter of 25 airplanes. So. Um, that that's the the delivery stream, and in regards to the financing, um, we we typically will finance the the cost of the airplane. So we're we're usually uh, plus or minus the the cost of the airplane. We don't typically overfinance, and, and and also maybe it's a good good time to point out maybe some some clarification too on how that stuff works. Um, you know, because we've had some questions from analysts around what do we do with with gains and losses. So um, you know, they, they've asked whether or not we include the gains or losses in our operating expense. And to be clear, um, you know, we, we do not. Um, we actually calculate uh, the gains or loss and account for them as a non-operating expense, um, and they are excluded from our non-GAAP metrics. So we know some airlines do account for gains and losses as credits to operating expense, but we don't do that. Yeah, I, I would say actually uh, the airlines that do, most of the airlines that uh, with respect to sale, leaseback gains actually follow what what you do. Um, Southwest excludes them as well when they take them. So no, I think that 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 that's sort of what it's been historically. Um, my my second question is just related on on cash. Um, you mentioned that you know you anticipate getting into positive operating cash in March and then beyond, you know, June quarter and beyond, clearly there is a seasonal tailwind that will that will start kicking in probably if it's not now, it's within the next week or two. And so we know that that carries you through part of the year. But as we think through the full year, are you implicitly telling us that, you know, the operating performance, or I should say the financial performance of the airline is expected to get a lot better in the back half of the year and or will that be supplemented by you know, other things like whether it's, you know, deferred maintenance um, or, you know, other levers that you can pull to generate, um, you know, additional cash on the operating side. Thanks for taking my question. Yeah, hey, Mike, I'll start, and I'm sure Ted and, and Matt want to jump in here too. Um, I'll, I'll just start at the high level sort of, you know, sort of financial forecast for the business. And, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll likely, um, you know, burn some operating cash in, in, in the beginnings of the first quarter, which we talked about January and February. But, but things will make a turn, you know, as we head into spring break. And, mm -hmm. you know, the second, third, and fourth quarters, we do expect, um, you know, to generate, you know, some mm – -hmm some operating cash for the business in those quarters. We expect margin to be, you know, positive for those periods. 
Um, and, and it's really, you know, uh, premised on, you know, the domestic return, um, our ability to, to manage some of the costs in the business, which, which we are already seeing returns on. Um, so that, that's really what the, the premise of the, the cash generation is. But I'll let Matt and Ted sort of talk about some of the market stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd only add, Mike, that, um, you know, when we hit, and I, I think I made a comment, when we hit the late summer of last year, you know, there was there was some notable shift in domestic demand, and we're obviously heavily skewed domestic uh, mm-hmm. today. Um, and that coupled with, you know, uh, Pratt & Whitney not moving in our direction by any mean and getting considerably worse, burdened mm-hmm. the business with both kind of like a bad setup on the top line and a lot of burden on the in the cost structure. And that was not a good start. Um, but we're starting to make the adjustments we need to make, you know, moving as rapidly as we can. Looks like the market should stabilize um, uh, just based on what we saw in the peak of of the fourth quarter and what we're already seeing for spring break. Um, and and we'll we'll make some, um, as, as Scott alluded to, some adjustments, you know, to right-sizing the business as well and all of that combined while not uh, fully done and we still have a lot of work to do to get back to where we want to be. It's progress in the right direction that gives us some confidence that we can start uh, moving the cash needle in the right way. Very good. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Mike. And our next question comes from Dwayne Fenningworth with Evercore ISI. Dwayne, please go ahead. Hey, good morning. This is Jake on for Dwayne. Um, in your prepared remarks, you mentioned right-sizing the labor cost. If that's if that's coming from headcount, can you quantify how overstaffed you are and in what particular groups? And then just relating to commentary on the last call, are you seeing the same as the rest of the industry regarding improving pilot staffing? Uh, thanks for the question. This is Ted. I'll start. Maybe Scott, you want to jump in? So as I um, as I stated, we 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 moved full bore into hiring to to hit what we thought was going to be a full utilization airline on a much bigger fleet uh, as we were moving through the second half of of 2023, and and we that did not materialize. We're going to be, as Scott said, down on average 25 airplanes from where we thought we would be. By the time we hit the end of the year, it's 40, um, and so. You know that's a lot um, of staffing, and that's across the board. It's it's everything from from our frontline people, our pilots, our flight attendants, um, um, the folks at the at the airports. Quite frankly, even the general administrative workforce has some um, you know, more direct related expense associated with it when you get bigger. So you know. Um, we're, we're working with, with all those various constituents to come up with solutions. We already have some progress uh, on that. Um, I hesitate to give you a number right now, but you know, last year we alluded to the fact that we're pursuing $100 million in structural cost enhancements, and it's sort of tied to that. So at least gives you um, some guidance on the, on the bucket. Um, and then um, as to your question on pilot staffing, you know, we saw the warm start to turn a little bit uh, in, the, in the middle part of last year, um, and attrition really started to you know, go down for us. Uh, and, and I've heard similar comments from other airlines as well. So it sounds like all the work that the industry is doing collectively to create more opportunities for pilots to get training, to move through the process, um, uh, is, is bearing some fruit. And we're, we're starting to see 
you know, once again, the principles of supply and demand working the way it's supposed to. Wages have gone up for pilots. There's more opportunity for prospective pilots to find uh, options to get trained and, and to become a professional pilot, and that's beginning to bear uh, fruit. So I think we are starting to get closer and closer in balance. Do you want to add anything more? No, I think you hit on that. I think that that's the point is, you know, when we when we think about hiring crew, you know, it's in it's well in advance of, of taking deliveries of airplanes. And so when the um, you know, when the, the AOG issues started to materialize in the back half of last year, we had to react, and, and, and the number of resources that we had internally was already embedded into the business. So um, it, this is really all about right-sizing, you know, our, our cost, and a lot of that is labor, you know, as Ted mentioned, um, to, to the size of the business, and, and that will, you know, be muted in 2024 and 2025 um, and, and maybe even beyond that. So part of what we're going to do is figure out the right staffing levels in all components of the business to um, to make sure they're, they're a fit for where we are. Okay, thanks. And then just to follow up, you talked about the timing of AOG, but do you have any insight or can you provide any detail for the timeline of GTF engine compensation? Yeah, I mean, from a timing perspective, let me just give you a little history. Um, you know, we've been in discussions with Pratt and Whitney for um, the better part of uh, a few months, um, figuring out how to best uh, negotiate a structure to compensate us for the for the AOG aircraft. And and while I think we are in the later innings, um, we don't have an agreement yet, um, so it's difficult to say um, where where we think that will hit and when, um, but we do have um, some amount of compensation embedded in our guidance. Um, ju just, just to be clear, I just can't give you details on what that is. Um, there, that is a commercial agreement with, with Pratt that we will, we will not be able to disclose the details, but I will tell you that it's in the guidance. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you for your question. And our next question comes from the line of Connor Cunningham with Melius Research. Connor, please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Uh, you know, just as we talk about this margin recovery opportunity, some of the other domestic airlines have talked about, about that as well. But as you sit here today, do the plans that, you've currently, that you're currently laying out get you back to break even by year end? It, it just seems very unit revenue driven right now. I'm just trying to understand the building blocks of how we, how we get there overall. Thanks, Connor. It's Ted. Yeah, so look, um, it, it has to be at least, um, if not a portion, a significant portion driven around the recovery that we're seeing. Um, you know, and I think that speaks uh, a little bit to how bad it was uh, in the latter part of summer and, and, and the fall of last year. Um, that didn't feel right to anybody uh, and feels like it was a little bit of a, a demand shift and, and maybe some, some macro concern about where the economy was heading. Um, and I think those two things are starting to stabilize. So, uh, and, and if we weren't seeing, you know, some, some confidence in that and the way people were booking in, in, in both the peaks and off peaks right now, we would, you know, we would tell you, but, but they are, it does appear to be moving in the right direction. So yes, it does imply that we start to continue to see that momentum coupled with um, the efforts that we're making on the cost structure and the utilization that, that were not right in, in the second half of last year either. So, you know, it's, it's definitely both items, um, but it does, does require the, the demand environment to behave the way we're starting to see it behave. Yeah, hey, Connor, I'll make one other, one other comment, and Matt will probably want to chime in too, but um, ju just mathematically, as we think about the year-over-year -year move, 
Um, you know, we talked about our growth rate being, you know, in the low single digits, you know, kind of flat to up mid single digits range. Um, that that alone will provide um, a, a tailwind to unit revenue, sort of this no growth scenario versus our historical double digit growth rate. Um, so we think that the the move in unit revenue for for us and really the the domestic landscape doesn't have to be uh, fantastic for us to get to the unit revenue number that we're expecting for the year. I don't I don't think we're being aggressive because we do have some puts and takes on you know the the network changes and and the sort of no growth benefit um, to unit revenue. So I think the the assumption around the domestic recovery um, I, I think is, is is not aggressive for us at this point. Yeah, and, and uh, kind of this is Matt, I can add a little bit of color in terms of the trends um, that, that we've been seeing, especially as we moved out of the fourth quarter and into January. Um, we're definitely starting to see, um, if you think about the sort of the year-over-year -year unit revenue production, um, it was uh, very, you know, obviously not up to where we wanted it to be in, in Q4. What we're seeing now is ahead into January, it's still January, uh, but the year-over-year -year unit revenue change um, from what we saw in Q4 as we head into January and into the first quarter, um, we're seeing significant um, unit revenue improvement on a year-over-year -year basis, still down in Q1, but significantly less down, if that makes sense, uh, for, for what we expect in Q1 relative to what we saw in Q4. And a domestic is leading that charge. Uh, back, uh, which is what we were expecting to see, and it's good to see it uh, you know, start, starting to come through that way. One other piece I think it's worth noting, um, geographically, and everybody has some amount of geographic diversity, uh, it just so happens right now, uh, we talked in the past, I think it was like last summer into the fall, how uh, Cancun uh, really took a turn uh, in, the, in the wrong way as we headed into the summer and, and exited the summer. We're still seeing some issues there. So uh, Cancun and some of our Caribbean leisure routes, think of that as like Montego Bay, Punta Cana. Uh, we're still seeing uh, material uh, unit revenue declines there. So um, some of our numbers here are including, of course, including that part of the network, which, which might be worth at least a couple of margin points uh, right there just for some geographic issues that we're having. We expect that to come back. Um, but we, but the timing is taking longer than what we had, what we would have liked. So that's still out there affecting our numbers, um, and domestic is definitely starting to lead this charge back for us. Okay, that, that's very helpful. And then you know, I know you you talked about you, you feel comfortable with the liquidity situation, but can you just talk about where the unencumbered asset base sits today? I I feel like you got a lot of equity in your order book, just anything that you have on your current fleet, and then maybe if you could just talk about the your current discussions with refinancing of the loyalty bond in 2025. Thank you. Yeah, I'll mention the uh, unencumbered assets um, and and really the the financeable base. I guess is sort of what you're getting to. So today, yeah. um, unencumbered assets, you know, excluding the 319s, which which are already contracted for sale, um, you know, hard assets sit in the sort of 350 million dollar range. Um, we also have 425 million dollars of PDPs with Airbus. And, and and a roughly you know five hundred million dollars of equity sitting in airplanes, um, and so so that sort of one point two billion dollars of financeable assets, 
you know, sort of what we start with. You know, LTVs are, you know, unknown at this point, but it also doesn't assess the value of the order book, which, which is a different different concept, but just sort of the financeable basis over a billion. Um, and then um, the the other discussions around the loyalty bonds, you know, aren't aren't at a point at which we can we can discuss today. We're in the early innings of thinking about how we address those, but but we are aware, um, and that's about all I can say about those today. Okay, thank you. Great, thank you, Connor. And our next question comes from the line of Scott Group with Wolf Research. Scott, please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good morning. So just before I get to questions, just one thing I want to clarify. You, you made a comment that the GTF recovery is reflected in your guidance. I'm, I'm, what, what do you mean when you say that? Um, yeah, the, the comment was around the compensation agreement with Pratt & Whitney um, for the AOGs. While we, we don't have an agreement in place today, we do have an estimate for that compensation that will show up as a credit to non-operating expenses. That is in our guidance an assumption for that. And that, so you're, you're saying in, in the, the Q1 guide reflects some assumption for the um, recovery? That is what I'm saying, yes. Okay. And are, just, are, you, is the, are, we, are you assuming it's spread over the course of a year or are you taking like the full recovery assumption in Q1? Just understand like what the real starting point for, for Q1 um, costs are. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, the the way the the um, the estimate will work in our guide is that we we assume that we get compensated on a per AOG amount um, over the year. So the number of AOGs that happen in the first quarter will have a corresponding amount as a credit to that expense in the period. So that that will it'll be spread over the year. In, in other words, okay, okay, that's helpful. And then just maybe along those lines. Um, just how are you thinking about the trajectory of, of chasm over the course uh, over the course of the year? Um, well, I think a lot of it will be in part to you know what Matt mentioned around capacity, um, but we're we're not going to give guidance for uh, for chasm for the year. Um, there's a number of moving pieces around that at this point, um, but we we do expect to be you know sort of year over year. We've talked about it being up. Um, you know, probably mid single digits, you know, year over year, um, and and that's primarily due to capacity constraints and and some of the lingering, you know, sort of right sizing components that we'll address through the year. Okay, and then just lastly, um, is there a? I know you said 230 million or so of, of capex. Is there a cash capex number to think about? And then have you guys publicly talked about any sort of minimum liquidity targets? Thank you. Um, the, the the 235 of capex is cash. Um, so that that's the cash number for capex, and and we we we've been asked around you know minimum liquidity, um, and I'll say a couple of things. One is that there is no um, you know specific operating minimum for us, but we do have some contractual minimums. We've talked about um, the the 400 million dollar minimum in our loyalty bond. Our revolver has a similar number. Um, and and you know people often ask about holdback of which we can't give details on, but just as a marker, you know our ETL balance is you know just under 400 million dollars for you know the end of 2023. So you know the the holdback is usually some some factor of that at which we can't give specifics, but those are sort of markers. But um, you know other than that, I, I can't give you a, you know a specific number. Very helpful. Thank you guys. 
Thank you, Scott. And our next question comes from the line of Andrew Dodora with Bank of America. Andrew, please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, a lot of my questions have already been addressed, but um, hey, Scott, just your, with uh, with regards to your the answer to the last question here, the two hundred thirty-five million dollars of cash capex in twenty twenty-four, that is before any financing, correct? That that is correct. Um, that that is not you know sort of the gross fleet capex number. You know that that really includes. Um, our, our sort of aircraft-related capex, you know, call it, you know, net of PDPs and engines and those things, plus other, you know, capex. Like we have some remaining spend left on the headquarters, um, some other, you know, rotable spend, part spend, and, and other IT projects. So to your normal, you know, run rate capex. Yep, got it. Okay, and then just, you know, going back to the the GTF uh, issues. By the time you reach the end of 2024, how much of your fleet will already be kind of through the process and and done? Just trying to get a sense for what's to come in 2025. Thank you. Well, this is a, uh, a tough one. We're sort of looking at each other as the best way to answer it. It's an excellent question, but unfortunately, we don't have clarity on that. The um, the number uh, that that would trigger the right answer there would be some stability in, w in what we call the wing-to-wing -wing turn time of the engine. So after it comes off, how long does it take for it to come back once it's through the shop? And historically, and I'm really reaching back into my early days um, in, in the business, we used to see the engine manufacturers get wing-to-wing -wing turn time somewhere in the 90 to 120 day range. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing Pratt numbers that are in the 300 plus range, uh, and we're not sure whether or not that is stable, uh, whether or not it will continue to increase or decrease. And so until we get a feel for that, it's hard to say how many quote unquote engines will be through the process. The reason that they will be removed over the course of the year is because they will have reached their threshold to be removed. So um, this is obviously the way that the process would work. Um, uh, and, and we'll just have to see how quickly they can either start to move that turn time up uh, and get us back engines and or produce more spares available for the worldwide fleet to start offsetting some of the pressure. Uh, and I think Scott said earlier that it's hard to guess on what's going to happen in 2025 right now, and that's one of the primary reasons is we don't, we don't yet have clarity from them on, on how they're going to, how quickly they'll be able to move through this process. Got it understood. Thanks, Ed. All right, thank you, Andrew. And our next question comes from the line of Jamie Baker with JP Morgan. Jamie, please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. This is uh, James on for Jamie. Uh, just a couple quick follows on the liquidity. Uh, for the pre-delivery payments, it, my understanding is that the OEM has to be in breach for those to be returned. Is that correct, or is there some negotiation that Spirit can have to reclaim them? Um, well, we're not in discussions around the re return of PDP payments at this point. I, I think if, if you're commenting on my previous, you know, um, words, it was around the PDP financing, um, not not a return of PDPs. But okay, gotcha. And then just a quick one: the new HQ is that unencumbered? And if if it is, or, or can you give a value there? 
it is unencumbered. We we've built that you know with cash at this point, and then we'll we'll probably look to use it as a as collateral for some some sort of financing in the future. Um, of the three hundred and fifty million dollar hard asset number I said for unencumbered, um, you know it's it's a significant portion of that in the two hundred fifty to three hundred million dollar range. Okay, thanks for the questions. All right, thank you, James. And our next question comes from the line of Dan McKenzie with Seaport Global. Dan, please go ahead. Oh, hey, good morning. Thanks, guys. Um, Matt, putting a finer point, I guess, on the network questions, big picture, what percent of the network needs to get reconfigured to get back to profitability? And I guess, how far along are you today? I mean, are we, are we halfway there, three-quarters of the way there? And, you know, just sort of the time frame for completion. I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of how easy or how hard it is from where you sit. Yeah, Dan, thanks. That's a great question. Um, I would tell you um, that the moves we're, we're, we're making now and the moves that we have planned to make throughout um, the rest of the first half of this year is what we need to do to get us back on track to head towards profitability. Um, I quoted some numbers for you there earlier in terms of um, city exits and new routes and suspensions. All of that is, is, is us moving methodically towards getting the network to a place where we can take advantage of our strengths and look for where the supply-demand balance is, is more appropriate. So I don't have an exact percentage that I'm going to give to you um, uh, for that question. It's a great question. But the moves that we're making throughout the first half of this year should, should, should set us up for that. And of course, once we then hit after summer and into the fall and winter, we may have some additional moves that are just seasonal in nature. But um, the vast majority of what we should be doing should, um, should be in place uh, by the first half, by the end of the first half of this year. Mm, yeah. Okay. Very good. And then, Scott, you know, in response to an earlier question, you mentioned generating operating cash and margins being positive, and I think that was for the second, third quarter. Does that positive margin reference reflect the compensation from from Pratt? And and you know, does the current outlook contemplate profitability in any of the quarters this year? Um. Hey. Yeah. It does. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the the guidance that, that we issued does include compensation from Pratt. Now, and I mentioned in my prepared remarks as well that the, the compensation doesn't fully cover what the impact of the AOGs you know, are for the business as well. It partially offsets um, in, in both the direct cost and an opportunity cost. I mean, our unit costs would be lower, but for the AOGs. Our margins would be higher, but for the AOGs. So um, just, just to be clear, that is the case. Um, but notwithstanding, we, we do still think that that we will um, be in a situation to have positive margins for the second, third, and probably the fourth quarter as well. Um, you know, it's all part of the discussions we had earlier around, um, you know, market recovery and, and our own unit cost management. Mm. Thanks for the time, you guys. Okay. Thank you, Dan. And our next question comes from the line of Sabi Sith with Raymond James. Sabi, please go ahead. Hi, this is Zara on for Savvy Sith. Um, our question today is that there seems to be investor concern around credit card holdback, which seems premature. What type of discussions are you having with your administrator on this topic, and what are the thresholds they're looking at? Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we can't disclose the, um, the credit card holdback uh, number, and that is a competitive you know, commercial arrangement. Um, but I mentioned that the ATL balance today is, you know, it's just under 400 million and credit card holdback 
you know, is usually some factor of, of that number. Um, and and we had a you know an, an agreement renegotiated with them a couple of years ago um, that that lowered the actual holdback um, that we were re required to have, um, or, or that I should say lowered the ca the minimum cash balance that we were required to have. So uh, we felt like we we're in a pretty good spot there. Hey Greg, okay, gotcha. Uh, and then oh sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Zara. Oh, oh no worries. Um, and then one more, although you guys touched on this earlier, if you could talk about any additional cost headwinds and tailwinds in 2024, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's it's a similar story, um, you know, as we've talked about. The the big movers are our labor cost, um, aircraft rent, you know, due to more leased aircraft than, than owned, you know, and, um, you know, as we, we look through the year, it, it's going to be those things that we'll have to address. You know, airport costs are also part of that. Um, and uh, the the good guys, though, I mean, we saw in the fourth quarter was running a good operation. You know, that, that was critical for us. Um, we saw that throughout the P&L, um, including fuel burn. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, running a good operation has, you know, obvious direct expenses with labor and, and interrupted trip expense, but we benefit in fuel burn and not having to fly so fast and and, and really thinking about, you know, as, as the network team allocates NEOs to, to market appropriate places, um, you know, we'll, we'll see real benefit in fuel burn, you know, in 24. All right. Thank you, Sam. Hey, Greg, we have a time for one more question. Move on to the next one, please. Okay. No problem at all. And our final question comes from Helene Becker with TD Cowan. Helene, please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, operator. Um, Matt, can you say what percentage of the forecast revenue for 2024's first quarter is already booked? Yeah, so uh, we usually don't comment specifically on that, uh, Helene. I, I would tell you, though, that um, for, for the spring break period, we like the setup very well. Um, we think our revenue management um, plans there are, are going to bear fruit for us. And uh, we're looking forward to getting closer and closer to March because we do believe that uh, the, the setup's really good um, for spring break, and we're looking forward to getting there. Um, okay, thanks. That was my only question. Great. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we will catch you next quarter. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's call. Again, thank you all for joining, and you may now disconnect. Have a great day, everyone.